Hey, I'm Christina Rea, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we're breaking down what's in your wallet financially and otherwise. If you'd like to suggest a new topic, send us a compliment, ask us a question, or otherwise get in touch, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at breakingoutpod or via email breakingoutofbreakingin at gmail.com. So uh, before we get into the topic, I think it feels important to contextualize our time and space. This is the first episode that we're officially recording after the results of the U.S. election have come in. Uh, Well, they've come in. We know (laughs) Biden has the popular vote and the electoral vote, but, you know, the coup has started as we expected. Christina, how are you feeling? (laughs) I'm feeling like, okay, I can breathe. And the next four years, it makes sense to, like, be an artist still, (laughs) Mm -hmm. as opposed to, I don't know, like, joining the Civil War. Oh. Yeah, that's, I guess, something that we should mention. So originally, when we were coming up with this podcast, um, which was not that long ago, we have not been <laughs> thinking about or doing this podcast for very long. But originally, we wanted to launch in the beginning of October and release every two weeks until the end of time or one of us, you know, got too famous to do it anymore. <laughs> and then <laughs> the election started ramping up and Christina was like, does it make sense to just like release episodes as normal during November because we don't know how long the election results are going to take to come in. And I was like, that's probably a fair point. So we decided to take November off, both because it felt weird to promote anything, but also because, I mean, who knows? Maybe the tenor of the podcast changes quite a bit because, and I had this conversation with Christina and a lot of like friends and family, like, I don't know if my chosen career makes sense in context of a world where Trump wins for a second time. Because like, we can... We can talk all we want about, like, the importance of art and being able to unwind at the end of a long day of revolutioning. But, like, that's something that comes later. Also, there's plenty of art already out there. Like, if you need something to distract you, there's so much in the Netflix and Hulu libraries that it doesn't really make sense to say, yes, but I want to spend a lot of people's money to make a movie that I like and might be very good. But, you know, if you're only ethical reason for doing it is like oh because the world needs art that's not enough in that kind of a world yeah and I also think if we were to lose democracy which you know it's already on the cusp um Mm. just in general and obviously the United States is not truly equal or a place of freedom for everyone equally um but democracy is real here and I think on the other side of a Trump win would be impossible to maintain or get back um Mm -hmm. and so with that would be censorship of art and it's like what can you actually do if every sort of avenue to reach people is censored by the government which is like maybe extreme sounding but would be the reality in in a world where a dictator uh gets to take over and that would be the case if trump won again so so yeah, like that to me, it just wouldn't even be feasible. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think you would have done in that kind of a situation? Because oh I was God. like, I was planning on moving. And so I think for me, um, like by the time, well, I guess this episode's coming out pretty pretty soon after we're recording it, which is the first. But I was thinking about it and I was like, we'll probably 
move in with my mom semi-permanently to like mm-hmm. save up money and mm-hmm. you know will at least be sort of safe there and can make decisions maybe I was thinking like maybe I could get um like go to nursing school or something and become a nurse to help out because like you know you don't need a lot of prerequisites for that like the you know you just go in and learn it and I that doesn't sound fun to me at all but like at that point it's not about fun it's about having like a actionable skill that can be used in the case of a civil war and civil unrest and like that was kind of like the plan I was turning over in my head. (laughs) Did you have an apocalypse scenario plan? I stressed about it a lot. I think it's hard because I'm not like frontline someone who would be losing rights right away, but I'm definitely not like at the height of privilege either. And so I definitely wouldn't leave New York (laughs) and I would probably, I I definitely was like, what can I do? How can I like work with AOC? How can I get on her? Mm -hmm. You know? And so that was really kind of what I was thinking was just like going the activism route and like just trying to be whatever I need to be for whoever has a plan in in play. Sure. Anyways, that's all to say uh, we don't have to worry about that quite so immediately anymore. Yes, yeah, we have we have more hope. We live to fight another day, which I think is, which is like the good news of this all. I don't think that sure. like our our new our president elect is is by any means a win for like no. the things that we truly truly care about. But he's a relief. He's not a success. Exactly, and so it it allows us to to live to fight another day as opposed to it just being completely hopeless. Yeah. Uh, and and that gives me hope for for art mattering and for mm-hmm. like being able to ethically pursue a filmmaking career so let's get back to the topic at hand christina in your opinion what's in your wallet i think the way that we're interpreting wallet is living like living as an artist because in Mm -hmm. our next episode we're going to be talking about budgets and budgeting for specific projects but we wanted to get ahead of that and just talk about what it requires financially to just exist in the world as someone who's pursuing specifically a filmmaking career I think that we tend to say art when we mean film and and vice versa but we we are filmmakers so that's kind of what we're specifically talking about yeah basically before we talked about like budgeting for your film um, and before we got too like far into the podcast that we're doing we wanted to be as transparent as possible about like our experiences our living expenses so that like you know you have an understanding that we're not trying to be the bullshit like just believe in yourself and you'll be fine you'll succeed no problem and like stuff like that um so that's kind of i think the vibe that both of christina and i are going into this with it's like we want you to know where we're coming from so that you can use that to filter everything we say because we're going to do our best to like cover as much ground as possible but ultimately like we have certain privileges and we have made certain choices that put us in a ultimately unique perspective as everyone has a unique perspective and hopefully will either provide some inspiration, some context and some, I don't know, just, yeah, transparency. But that's, I just wanted to put that out there. This is about (laughs) us being transparent about where we're at. So you're never like, yeah, but does one of these motherfuckers have like a really rich parent? (laughs) Exactly. And I, for instance, am often asked, you know, how I make as many shorts as I do. I tend to make two or three a year. And part of that is that, yeah, I make things for really cheap and I wear a lot of hats. But also I worked a full-time job for five years and had a spouse working a full-time job so I could like put money aside to pay for my own shorts. So so those are the kinds of things we want to talk about. 
Um, and so on that note, I also sh- want to acknowledge upfront that I recently left my job, my full-time job at Seed and Spark. As head of education, I was with the company for almost five years. I left in October. And yeah, it, for a lot of reasons, but mainly because I, two things, want to stop working full-time in general. Um, you know, I, it, it, I was working like definitely more than a 40-hour week on that job. And, and it was in the pandemic in particular, taking a toll. Yeah. Hashtag startup life, hashtag pandemic life, just crashing into each other. Yes, exactly. But also I wanted to be able to focus a little bit more of my time specifically on my filmmaking and freelancing felt like that was an avenue to do that. And that 100% is built into the privilege that I have of having a spouse who who makes a, a good income because who who the fuck should, like quits their job during a pandemic you know <laughs> like who is able to do that um and I, definitely not me up until fairly recently and so to kind of give some context my husband justin he and i have been together for almost 10 years when we met i was finishing up my senior year of college and he he had been unemployed for six months and me who was very uh very like kind of you know fuck the system damn the man like who wants to live a stable life I thought that was sexy that he like quit his job (laughs) (laughs) and that's I've never heard this story but that's the most Christina story I've ever heard yeah, I mean, I was very much like, I think that's awesome that you hated this corporate job you had. And it was it was just like he worked for a marketing firm. And he was like, I don't love this. I don't really, you know, I don't have any passion here. And I hate this, this nine to five life. So I'm going to quit and figure my shit out. What I didn't know is that he was like two weeks away from having to move back upstate with his mom because he had run out of all the money he had saved up. And Well, was... that part's not quite so sexy, so I'm not surprised he didn't <laughs> lead with that. Yes, yeah. Um, but he went on a job interview like two days after our first date, and he got hired, and then he was making around 50 grand a year doing that. And he, he had that job. We moved in together, and he had that job and was eventually making around like 70 grand a year. I was working my old job that I mentioned in I think the first episode that was like a mobile film workshop um so I was making barely anything but just enough to kind of like pay my rent and feed myself on a lot of like beans beans and rice (laughs) um and but then he was like really unhappy because he was working in marketing and was just like I'm again working for another like corporate company that this one was an insurance company and he was he was in marketing department and he hated it and so I was like well what do you like like what do you want to do and I think he's always struggled with not having a like clear passion the way that I do where it's just like I'm tunnel vision this is what I want to do with my life he doesn't have that but he cares about a lot of things and he really loves to be challenged he's like very into puzzles he's a he's a you know puzzle solver in, in a variety of ways And so anyway, long story short, he ended up going to get certified by Salesforce, which is like a back-end builder for operations for sales. And so he took all the tests and got certified in that. And then his mix of a business background and like understanding what businesses need with the like technical skill to know how to build something custom put him in this very coveted position by tech startups. So, uh... As of the last, I would say, three years, really, he his like ability to earn grew 
pretty exponentially. And at the time that I left Seedenspark, I was making 75 grand a year. That was my income. And he was making over double my income. And so, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Damn, so, Justin. Yeah. So like that's his income now. And I think it's important that I acknowledge that because I, I talk a lot about my, my childhood and growing up with a single mom and how my mom worked three jobs. And even I, like I started working at 12 and never stopped. And we lived in a one bedroom apartment, my mom, my brother and I, a lot of my childhood. So like that has defined who I am. But my life now is very different because I have the spouse that I have. And I also have things that my peers don't have. Like I help my family out financially. So that is like something that filmmakers don't have to worry about that a lot of filmmakers I know don't have to worry about. Like they're sort of the opposite. They have families who help them out. So there's still Mm -hmm. that like, I don't want to say burden, but there's still that responsibility. on on me however my like basic costs of living are covered by my my spouse's income and like I don't have to worry about that I do because of just like my own sense of self-sufficiency and my mom like drilled it into me I mean growing up she was like you have your own bank account you take care of your own shit like that is just who I am fundamentally as a person but I don't have to so like with all the stress of the world that I know my peers we share one thing that I'm not worried about right now is like can I pay my rent and that Mm -hmm. is a huge huge relief that Mm -hmm. I often like to come back to because when we're talking about like creative energy worrying about survival is sucking up a lot of that you know yeah I was unemployed for like six months back in 2017 um, because my contract at MTV didn't get picked up because the way that MTV likes to do uh, employ people is that they do it on three-month contracts and some people that I knew while working at MTV had been on a three-month contract so every three months they didn't know if they would continue having a job for over 10 years like and they do that because that if you're considered a contract worker they don't have to give you uh paid time off or health care um so that's just like a fun thing to note if you're gonna work in traditional media but anyway so my contract wasn't picked up uh as you know it didn't need to be and that's why they did it because they didn't have to fire me or do anything like that um i was out of a job for a couple of months and i at first i was like you know maybe this is a there's a silver lining here like maybe now that i'm unemployed like I have some time to just like really get creative. But that was one of the worst depressions of my entire life because like you don't have time to think about like, oh, what can I do creatively today? All you're thinking of is how many more jobs can I apply to (laughs) so that maybe I can pay rent in two months when my savings run out. So yeah, can confirm being unemployed is not the same (laughs) as having free time to be creative. And that's absolutely worth acknowledging. I also think, Christina, um, and I don't know how, you know, specific you want to talk about this, but I do think it's also important to recognize that like you aren't just like jumping out without a life jacket on, you know, you have tons of contacts that you've made at a number of places at Seedens Park itself. That So like you're going out into the world, but a lot of people I think have already reached out to say like, hey, if you're looking for freelancing, we've got you covered. And yeah. that also I bet helped cushion the, the fall a little bit. For sure. I mean, one of the reasons I like agonized about whether or not I should do this, even though I do have, again, you know, my my immediate cost of living covered is because 
I do, like I do still need to make a living. I do. I have my student loans I have to pay. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, my family, um, that is something I still worry about. And so I, you know, I gave two months notice at work and I spent that time not only reaching out to the contacts that I had built just to give them a heads up, but just sort of like putting out feelers to see what kind of freelance work is out there. And I found a lot of people coming to me, especially once I officially made the announcement. And so I had that cushion time. And I want to also just shout out Jerry Maravia, who who also kind of did a similar thing last year. He left Seed and Spark to freelance. And he was one of the people that I spoke to when I was thinking about it. And I was like, how are you managing? What are you doing? What, like, what does it look like for you, especially right now during the pandemic? And he... Uh, not only gave me like the reassurance I needed, but he also put me in touch with some mutual connections that we had that I knew had freelance work to pass around. So so that's also something that's in your wallet. You know, it's not just your privilege, privilege of having a high earning spouse yeah. that can, you know, keep your living expenses all ca- okay, but like also your contacts. So people out there who are like concerned about things or scared about making a leap, first asked around because people are willing to be generous if you've been a good person and you know even if it's not strictly film related if you're a good person hard worker and people like being around you and want to recommend you for things they will you just have to ask that's right I think it all comes down to knowing people and and just putting it out there a lot of what we're going to talk about even outside of this episode is just like being willing to ask being willing to be Mm -hmm. vulnerable you know Uh, to share what you need and see who has that to give. Totally. So uh, I could keep talking, but (laughs) Brie, why don't you do some talking for a bit? Uh, Sure. I guess I can talk about my current job situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like to say uh, that I have four jobs, and I do. So I uh, I still work at Seed and Spark. Um, prior to the pandemic hitting, I had gotten a raise. It's the first time I ever got a raise in my life. I got a promotion at, when I was a barista uh, that came with a $1 an hour raise. Woohoo, management and a whole extra dollar an hour. But this was the first time that like I just got a raise for like doing a good job, which was very exciting. And then literally a week later, the pandemic hit and we all took 30% salary slashes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that's important context. So I was about to make, and I made for one week of work, $65,000 a year. I didn't make $65,000 in a week, but like that was my new yearly salary. Right. And then that got slashed. <laughs> and now I think I checked recently and before taxes because they gave us 10% back recently. Um, I'm making $54,000 a year at Seed and Spark. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for living in New York, for wanting to make additional work and for moving soon, that was not going to be enough to, you know, cushion any blows potentially, especially if, you know, we were constantly on the verge of collapse because, hey, working for a filmmaking company who does events and crowdfunding was not the best pandemic (laughs) company to work for. So, you know, we were constantly panicked about that. So luckily, I'd already had two teaching gigs that continued. Um, One was already remote. I am a thesis advisor at Stevens College for students who are working on web series and now also audio drama scripts for their senior thesis for their screenwriting MFA. Um, So I'm considered like a mentor, but I get paid as an adjunct. So sometimes I just shorten it to I'm an adjunct at Stevens. So I get paid per student for that. Um, I don't remember the exact rate, but like I get paid every two weeks uh, and it's a lump sum 
for all of my students. So I actually had two students, I think, switch away from my program, not because of anything I did, just because they realized they didn't want to do web series. They wanted to work on their pilots. So mm-hmm. that actually was kind of a blow because like at the very, in the middle of the pandemic was when like the classes were being finalized because Stevens College is a year round thing for me. So from August to May and around August I met with like eight students and then two dropped out of my particular program and I was like shit that was some extra money that I could have really used Mm -hmm. and then every fall uh, or at least this will be the last fall I also teach a web series production class at LAU Brooklyn which was my old MFA program I actually teach the class that I developed my first independent film project in now which is like a fun sort of circle of life thing and um, I get actually paid less for that even though it's more work and uh, I have a every Monday night I teach a class from 6 to 9 p.m. in person and I teach students how to develop their web series pilot and so I was doing both of those things I got both of those connections because I went to grad school and I you know continued staying in touch with my professors and so when they were looking for a new teacher for the LAU class they called me and they were like hey would you have any interest in teaching this and I was like well, if you're going to be paying me, sure, I'll do anything. Like I'm, I'm still in like the hustle phase where I'm like, if somebody offers me paying work, I'll probably say yes if it doesn't sound too terrible because like I could always use the money because I've never had job stability literally once in my life. So I'm yeah. like, anything could happen at any moment. My contract could not get picked up, you know, blah, blah, blah. This startup could just fall apart at any moment if we don't get enough investors. So I'm always like ready for <laughs> a financial apocalypse because... I have to be. Yeah, so, um, yeah. so yeah, so I said yes to that first job. And then the guy that took over that program, the LAU program, was also uh, running the program at Stevens and was like, hey, we're looking for new mentors. Would you be interested in picking this up as well? You're, you're doing a good job here at LAU. Would you want to do thesis advising? And I was like, hell yeah, more money. <laughs> <laughs> so that worked out. And then as a result of both of those things, the creator community hoo-ha-ha, it's a women in comedy community. They put up a posting in summer this year about, I think, asking if anyone from their women in comedy community had a class that they wanted to pitch that they could potentially teach to everyone. And I pitched essentially the class that I teach at these two other programs, um, but like a truncated live version of it with like no homework or whatever. And I got I got through. So I, I got that gig. So that's starting canonically next week. But I think when you guys are hearing this episode, it's been like two <laughs> weeks so far. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so now now I'm teaching a five-week class for hoo ha and if it goes well, uh, hopefully they'll have me back, either to teach this class or maybe develop a new one. So I've actually kind of fallen in accidentally to teaching as a side hustle, mm-hmm. and I don't mind it. I, I mean, I teach a lot at Seed and Spark. I taught a lot at my last startup, um, and so luckily those skills have allowed me to pick up new, you know new random stuff to kind of keep me a little bit afloat because yeah I'm basically I will say yes to anything I I recently (laughs) went back and did freelancing for my old uh full-time job I left Starable because they were having um uh investment problems and uh weren't able to pay me for a little while and so like I was not in a position where that I could live with that kind of uncertainty so I I started looking and got the job at Seed and Spark as a result of that Starable has since done a little bit better thankfully that's exciting for them um and so when they asked me to kind of come back and just help out with a couple of things for their virtual festival I said yes because hey <laughs> more money yeah. so I I worked for them for a while so there was a period of time this fall where I had five jobs, one full-time job and then four part-time 
I don't even know if you would call them side hustles at this point. I basically had four part-time jobs that amounted to a second full-time job. And then, of course, I'm also doing two podcasts. I do this one and my Burn Notice podcast. And I was producing a web web series episode at the time, and I direct another thing. And also, like, allegedly, I'm a writer, so sometimes that happens. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it's been a it's been a busy year but i i'm in the financially the best place i've ever been and it's the pandemic even at t- continuing 20 percent reduced salary at my full-time job and um but you're working yeah. for it <laughs> i'm i am fucking working for yeah. it and i am exhausted at the end of the day it's hard to say no when you need money right mm-hmm. it's like this you just can't win because you need the space for your mental health like the time and mm-hmm. the space but if you don't have financial stability, then you're just using that time and space to stress and worry mm-hmm. about not having financial stability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, even if you're watching TV to relax, if you don't have a job, all you're thinking about is like, okay, how much money did I spend a day? Should I check yeah. my bank account before I go get coffee in the morning? Or should I just do it and like live on the edge a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, even I like, I told myself I was going to spend November writing and trying to like, build up that portfolio so then December I could focus on okay what is the new year like what are my gigs in the new year and stuff because I built in having a salary and I'm fine right now like I got my paycheck for my last week of work and I'm saving it Mm -hmm. but I'm still in this like paranoia stage because it's just my conditioning of life of like Mm -hmm. the second shoe is gonna drop like anytime something like I have a handle on something I feel like I'm gonna lose it when it comes to money because that's been my whole life so I have this inability to even live in the feelings of stability even when I have it Um, oh 100% like the you know I I was gonna survive well enough just kind of doing like having a full-time job and maybe one side gig but like I am so paranoid because in my life it seems like every three to four years my entire financial existence just like blows up and completely you know independent for me and so like I know how long my savings last me even like you know pinching pennies so Mm -hmm. right now I'm like I'm financially okay. I don't need to have five jobs, but right. it's nice to have them because even though I don't have time to do anything or like feel things, the first day off I took in two months was uh, the day that Joe Biden's election was called. Mm-hmm. I was like, I looked up at my fiance and we were like, Biden won. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do to celebrate? And he's like, what? And I was like, I'm not going to work today. And he was like, finally. <laughs> he's very concerned about me. It's sweet. He doesn't understand. He can relax wherever he is. It's infuriating but um but yeah like I would be financially okay if I didn't have all of these side gigs but I always apply I always like if somebody's like hey are you interested I'm like yes probably give me the details because I don't you know I put all of it directly into savings I don't spend more when I work all of these extra jobs I spend the same amount I was always going to I might splurge on like a nicer birthday gift or something every once in a while but like I'm not I don't go anywhere I don't do anything. What am I going to spend money on? So I just put all of that directly into savings. Uh, I've actually saved more during a pandemic year than ever before because I keep picking up side hustles. And I know that's going to get me through my move. That's going to get me through, you know, potentially if I, you know, leave a a couple of these gigs and think like, I'm going to I'm going to actually take time off for once in my life and like do what Christina's doing. You know, I need to have some kind of financial stability because my fiance does not have it. He works as an office manager at a law firm here in New York and they're fully remote. So 
some in some ways, the pandemic is kind of helpful because it means that even when we move in with my mom in Colorado, he might not have to give up his job when we mm. leave. So that's helpful that he yeah. will have a little bit of additional income. But like, once he leaves that job, he doesn't have, you know, an immediate next step. Like he'll probably, he's probably also going back to school in the next couple of years. So that's going to be an added expense and added, you know, amount of debt accrued potentially. Um, and will also significantly impact his ability to work because, you know, he'll be in school. So like, I don't have a fallback. I'm the earner of the family and that's depressing because I don't make that much <laughs> money. <laughs> so that also is something that I have to weigh. Yeah, that's hard. Um, having to be the breadwinner and the one who's pursuing an artistic career because mm -hmm. that is just like that's so that's hard i'm just saying that's hard mm -hmm. like it's hard because yeah, and, and it's also he's also pursuing artistic things like i mentioned he was wanting to go back to school because he wants to get his phd in writing but he's also a writer he's not in the film industry although i've been secretly trying to set him up to be like a production designer when we get to la because i think he'd love that and would be very good at it he has a great attention to detail and like a really cool unique style but anyways um he wants to do like novels and he would be mm -hmm. really happy to teach and like that's what he wants his phd for is he wants to teach at the college level the thing that I have accidentally done and mm -hmm. you know he feels the need to get an additional degree for but you know that that's always been a weird thing between us but he yeah so he not only doesn't make very much money uh, at this point makes less money than me because he doesn't have five jobs but also <laughs> he is he is himself exploring and pursuing a creative career that is you know not stable and I our difference is that like he doesn't have a timeline like you and I Christina are like what are we doing today that's going to get us further and for for my partner he's just he writes every day he still meets with his writers group that they've been meeting for almost a decade at this point you know they, he's constantly submitting he's getting little things published in like lit mags and and stuff like that but you know he is not like if I'm not successful by 30 which he turns in two days uh you know he's not gonna like lose his mind he's like it could take me 30 years and that's fine mm -hmm. that's you know my priority is just that I feel fulfilled in my day-to-day -day life which is the amount of healthy boundaries that he has had to set for that to be true are wild to me but good for him so you know I I, I have, uh, you know, it both ways. I have both a semi-stable spouse, but also someone who is himself pursuing creative careers. So yeah, we're gonna be poor forever. <laughs> or we're gonna be, we're gonna be not financially well off forever. I should say, <laughs> until yeah. one of us makes it big. Right, you never know. But um, at least you double your odds <laughs> of one of you <laughs> making exactly. it big. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but no, it's it's very hard. It's very hard when every sort of maybe financially irresponsible decision you want mm -hmm. to make doesn't just affect you. Yeah. I also want to acknowledge we also have saved more in the pandemic, which is so bizarre, but mm -hmm. we're just like not spending any money and we normally do not. We're, like He grew up with a single mom too. He's very frugal. We're both just like we save, save, save. The only thing we would ever splurge on is dinner out like once a week mm -hmm. we would go out for a nice dinner and we haven't done that and we've saved so much money which is <laughs> making us really think and also just like ordering in we would usually sure. order in like two nights a week at least now we've cooked literally every single meal and have just saved so much money and it's made us just kind of be a little bit disgusted with how much we spent on food before <laughs> but yeah it's it's the biggest part of our yeah uh, budget as well but I mean like considering we don't spend money on anything else like at all except maybe toys for our cats occasionally um I think it's okay but but anyway um I want to acknowledge that we're saying these things while other people are pro 
probably hurting in the pandemic and that, you know, we're saying we've been able to save money and meanwhile you're out of work, especially if you, you know, work in like theater or just if you're on indie sets and you're not unions, you're not getting these big jobs where things are getting back to production. We don't want to minimize that at all. And we understand that 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 it's just so fucked up right now. Well, and I think that's why we wanted to do this episode because we didn't want anyone to think that we were like, you know, doing some kind of like minstrelsy, like, oh, we're also broke. Because like, yeah. obviously, you know, we can talk about how we don't have the money we wish we had, or frankly, that either of us deserve for the <laughs> amount of work that we do and, you know, whatever. But like, we, I think that it is important to acknowledge like we're both doing okay. So that's why we have this extra time and energy to do a stupid podcast and pay the 15 bucks a month to host it, you know, yeah. and, and put it out. And like now Christina has all this extra time to put into our Instagram account and she's always sending me new designs. I'm like, wow, now that she's unemployed, I'm going to get so many more of these. (laughs) But like, you know, it's important to acknowledge that. Like we can't just sit here and like leave it in mystery of like these two broke girls are doing so much. Like we have a lot of privilege and it's worth acknowledging. It's also worth acknowledging how we got there, though. Yeah. Like you're getting jobs because of connections you've made over investing, you know, a decade into developing relationships with people. I got these opportunities because of my school and, you know, because I stayed in touch with people and, you know, stayed on top of things, learned new things, adapted, and then went out with those new skills to pitch. Mm -hmm. So that's also valuable information, I think. It totally is. I think, you know, a lot of people will, on panels, I'm constantly hearing you know, do you have any parting words or last pieces of advice? And people will always be like, just do it. Like, that's their that's their response is like, just get out there and make stuff or just go after it. And it's like, OK, <laughs> but let's talk about not only the financial uh, needs of that, but also the the emotional and mental bandwidth and like what else is using that up in a person Mm -hmm. and and so I remember we did um an educational event for work and one of the guests who is a tv writer and is really like up and coming she said that everything turned around for her when she quit her full-time job and she was like at some point you just have to quit your full-time job if you want to go after writing specifically writing for tv and I wished that the moderator or someone had been like, okay, but how were you able to do that? Because not everyone Mm -hmm. can just quit their full-time job, right? And so I want to be really transparent for myself. Like I am pursuing bigger opportunities right now. And if something takes off, uh, which, you know, hopefully there will be at some point, it's because I had the time and space to pursue it, right? Like, and I would not a year ago be able to do that working full-time the way that I was and, and all that. And so also, of course, tied to like my talent and my skill and the work that I've made and the connections that I've made by getting my work out there and building that audience and showing that there's an audience for that work. All of those things are true, but also it's completely tied to the the privilege that I have to be pursuing it, to make it Absolutely. a primary focus. Have I told the story of the most insane uh, and intense uh, internship interview I've ever had on this podcast? I Have I told so. that story? No. So it's related to this, but it, like it's related to it in like the opposite direction. So like Christine and I are talking about how like we have a base standard of living that we would like to maintain. And so, you know, in order to con- pursue art and whatever, like we have to work a lot in order to have enough money to like be okay. When I was in, when I was still in grad school, we had to do internships for uh, the grad program and I had uh, quit my full-time job 
going into my second semester because I knew I needed to make time for an internship and it wasn't always going to work around my school schedule. But also uh, I it had it was such a toxic place that I finally just said, like, enough is enough. I have savings. I have prospects. I can figure something. I can take out more student loans if I absolutely have to. Like now is the time to quit now or never. And so I started going out on a lot of like internship interviews. And I was, of course, explicitly looking for paid internship opportunities because like, hey, two birds, one stone, that would be very helpful. And I got a interview at, I don't even remember what the place was. I'm sure I could find it in my inbox, but it was like this kind of full service production house thing in Midtown. And um, they did like, they did commercials and they did like small indie stuff. And also the guy that owned it, like taught classes and, and did kind of that kind of thing. But he was also like a filmmaker in his own right. And he had gone to NYU with like Spike Lee and people. And so like he had a very big ego and I didn't know any of this going into it. I just knew that they were looking for like a camera intern or something. And so I went into the interview and immediately like it felt like we were in one of those. It, have you watched the Queen's Gambit yet? Yeah. So it felt like one of those like really intense chess scenes where like all the background drops away and it's just these two people, you know, playing this game. That's immediately how it felt. And so like my, when I get into that situation, I rise to it because like even though I'm like this is crazy, I'm. 22 years old and this is an internship interview but like that's not where my brain goes my brain goes to must win encounter Mm -hmm. and so then this started like a 45 minute like no holds barred like interview session which started out with him like shit talking millennials and I was like yeah millennials are terrible right next question (laughs) and then like over the course of it (laughs) basically it was outlined to me that he could offer me Two days a week, maybe, perhaps three days. It was like minimum wage paid, but uh, I would get potentially better opportunities if I stayed late, um, you know, and they didn't have uh, overtime pay for interns. So he was like, you know, this is what you'll be paid for, but like I pay attention to people who like stay late, blah, blah, blah. And then he went on this whole rant about how like when he first moved to New York, he had no money. He lived in like a roach motel, basically. He had zero quality of life. He ate ramen for every meal and he only had one of those a day, but he paid, you know, he, he paid his dues. He worked his way through college. He got into NYU, blah, 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 blah. And basically his position was, your life's going to suck for like a long time. And it's definitely going to suck at this internship. But I will notice how much your life sucks and how hard you're working in spite of it and give you more opportunities potentially. And that's the thing is it wasn't even like a promise. It was just like, I'll notice. And maybe if I like the quality of your work, you'll get further in my company that mostly does commercials and like (laughs) classes on how to use a camera. And so like in the room, because it was so intense, I was like, yeah, I'm up for that. And then like one of the last questions he asked me was some, you know, gotcha question of like, why should I hire you? And don't say it's because, you know, you're a hard worker. Everyone says that, like, give me the real answer. Be honest with me. And mm-hmm. I don't remember what I ended up saying, but I think it was enough because he it offered me the internship in the room. And I think I accepted because it was just so intense. Like I had been <laughs> fully played. But then I left the room and I like went home to my roommates and we went out to dinner. And I was like, I think I just met the male version of Meryl Streep from <laughs> Devil Wears Prada. And I also don't think I want to work for that. (laughs) That's terrible. And like it dawned on me that, you know, that's all well and good. You know, the magic of the starving artist. But like I'm in graduate school. My fiance is moving in with me in the next month or two. I'd like to see him occasionally. (laughs) I guess he wasn't my fiance at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, do I want to live that life? Because I know there has to be at least a handful of people who are successful and didn't have to live in a roach motel. (laughs) 
I think I'm going to call him and say thanks, but no thanks. And so it was just this funny thing because like he was clearly like personally offended when I turned down the internship via email um, because like in his eyes, suffering equals success. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to do that. And so it's sort of the opposite where like, I guess there are two camps that you could go. You could either like figure out a way to maintain the quality of living that you at least at a base level want to have and then pursue your art after which may take longer or you could just fully suffer all the time Mm -hmm. but be like weirdly like turned on by that suffering and then just like deal with it and make art in spite of it right um and I don't (laughs) love that option yeah I think also (laughs) I think the people who choose that option have like a base safety net because I don't think that anyone who's really struggling to survive chooses that option. You just like don't have the privilege to choose to pursue your art. I also think it's worth mentioning he's a man and yeah. like being a woman in, you know, hostile housing for, you know, a long-term yeah. solu- living solution, that's not safe. Mm-hmm. You know, to be a woman in the world or, you know, a gender nonconforming person, you can't live in, you know, the quote unquote squalor that all these male artists fantasize about. Yeah. You because it's literally unsafe on a whole different level. So I, I think that that there's also that at play. For sure. For sure. And I think also most people, there's definitely exceptions and maybe he's one of them. But most people, I think, who choose that have parents who could bail them out if they really needed to or like they have an education where they could get a job doing something else but Mm -hmm. they're choosing this for this particular time it's sort of like I mean it reminds me of girls you know like I don't know if you watched girls but just like that I watched one episode and I was like I hate this I hate (laughs) her I don't want to I don't care if she succeeds or fails frankly I want her to fail but I don't want to invest emotionally into waiting for that to happen right that does bring me to the Ryan Johnson um, (laughs) example I wanted to bring up the reason part of why I wanted to do this episode is because I brought up a while back how um, I was reading trivia for Knives Out which is one of my favorite movies of last year and great movie I'm like such a nerd I love going on IMDb and reading the trivia for any movie that I really like and and then I kind of go down a hole of trivia and one of the things and I was checking it today before we recorded to see if it was still there and it's reworded now but one of the kind of like ironies that was pointed out in the trivia section about Knives Out is that Ryan Johnson his first feature Brick he had spent years trying to get it funded he was pitching it around and then eventually his parents just wrote him the $450,000 check to make the film um that was the budget of the film the trivia now takes out the number and says the film was funded by his parents and then I checked the Wikipedia page for for Brick the film and it says that when he couldn't find funding through industry pitching he turned to friends and family and his family gave enough of the $450,000 budget that encouraged other people to contribute to so I don't know who edited it but I assume he or someone was like they didn't write the whole checks up they only wrote two hundred thousand dollars whatever but um only two thousand yes exactly at the end of the day at the end of the day he had parents who could do that um and friends of parents who would match it to some degree to get to half a million dollars basically Mm -hmm. um and so I do really kind of like what I do love about Knives Out is that he's kind of like mocking himself when they're all saying that they're self-starters and it's Mm -hmm. like they you know everyone got a check from the father but I also 
think that that is and I don't want to call him out as like the one person in Hollywood who's like he's not I, I haven't seen him like say that he came from nothing or whatever he's not being like contradictory in any way but it's just an example of what Hollywood is made up of which is a lot of people who have access to capital in some way and a lot of the like big break especially behind the camera because when I think about any of the the people I idolize who made the shift from indie to like running their own shit They're, they tend to be actor creators like mm-hmm. thinking about you know Issa Rae and thinking about the broad city women it's harder to do it as just a behind the scenes person and often when you look at anyone who had a big break with a big like first film it is so often because someone wrote them a big check and got them to be able to have that big break and, and someone they already knew. Exactly. Like, I, I also think that there's this misconception in the film world that like if you just meet the right producer, if you just meet like the right person, they'll just write you a check because you're spunky. You yeah. Know? And that's like not a thing. No, it's not. Anyway, uh, I do want to just to wrap it up, like go through some of the things we have to spend money on other than living mm-hmm. expenses because we focus mostly on that. But um, maybe we should run through some things that are required if you want to be really pursuing a filmmaking career these are things you're going to have to spend money on. Mm-hmm. Sure. Before we get to that, living in a big city is more expensive than mm-hmm. than in uh, like a smaller city where there isn't a film community. So that's first thing. And then obviously like internet, if you, if you are working in a big city and you are like uploading a lot of files and downloading stuff, you're probably gonna have to pay for higher speed internet. That's like mm-hmm. a, that's a, you know, a disparity between just like being a regular person and handling files as a filmmaker. Although um, right now, since everyone's working remotely, the internet costs have probably gone up for even regular people. That's true. That's true. Um, I would say that other things like, you know, everyone subscribes to platforms to watch stuff, but I definitely subscribe to way more because I want to watch everything that's new so I can see what's being made, even if like normally I wouldn't probably care to pay for that. So those are mm-hmm. things to think about. Um, and then other things, I'm not. this wasn't in our original breakdown of stuff, but if you want to go to like networking events, if you want to, you know, do the things that we talk about, which is like going to festivals and meeting people or uh, going out for drinks with someone or grabbing coffee with someone because that happens a lot in our industry it's like let's grab coffee let's grab coffee let's grab coffee that's going to cost you money every time you want to do that right Mm -hmm. like at the very least the cost of a cup of coffee and that's stuff that you have to budget for as a filmmaker it's a little bit or an unlimited metro card so that you can be free to go out and not have to like spend 10 minutes at the stupid machine like refilling your card right or if you're in LA then it's like gas money and having a car and and car expenses yeah Mm -hmm. and so those are things that that you want to put aside money for um, because they're they're really necessary uh, if you want to get anywhere. Okay, what else, what are you at on your list, Bree? Uh, so just the things that I thought of as we were talking about this. Um, so I had IMDb Pro for a year, then I lo- took it away, then I recently got it again because I was starting to send out stuff and I knew people would be looking at my IMDb page, so I wanted a picture on there. Um, So IMDb Pro is $150 a year, um, and I probably will cancel it when it comes around to be renewed next year unless something substantially changes. But like, I basically took the money I got freelancing for Starable for the first couple of weeks this year and used that to pay for IMDb Pro. So I like expressly only did it because I got a job that paid for it and then that pays through the year but IMDb Pro gets you access to people's agents and their contact information so that Mm -hmm. you can start to like notice 
what lit agency are some of your favorite writers repped by and things like that. Although, of course, the lit agencies are all a mess right now because of the yeah. WGA strikes. But, but like, also distributors. Um, mm-hmm. yep, yeah, distributors. Technically, there's a job board, but I've never actually seen anything substantive, substantive on IMDb Pro. For the most part, there isn't, unless you're like a technical crew member or an actor. No one is posting jobs for writers and directors. There yeah. isn't a place where you can go to get hired for that. That's kind of that person-to-person stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, that's just something to note is if you go on there hoping like somebody will post a job looking for a director or, you know, a DP or a writer, that's not how that happens. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's so hard with IMGB Pro because it's like I so I didn't have it for the longest time and I just signed up for a year before I quit because I felt like, OK, I have the money now so I can just do a year. And I knew that I was going to be pursuing some specific filmmaking work and the photo that was up there was someone randomly had uploaded of me in a crowd at a film festival and I was just (laughs) like it was so weird and also they had filled in like a quote from me I don't know but I wanted to change that so I signed up for it and then I was like what else can I do and I really can't do anything else it's like not it's not useful um, I find unless you're actively trying to find a specific path like you're trying to see who distributed this film or who represented mm-hmm. this person uh, and I also definitely have had friends uh, in the web series world who use IMDB Pro to get in contact with actor reps mm-hmm. because yes. uh, a lot of actors are willing to be in indie stuff if you can get a script in front of them because a lot of times like if you can pay them like base union rates and they really like the story and you pitch it to them as something that's like really uniquely for them or something like that then a lot of people are willing to at least like take a meeting with you so I know that that's how some people use it important note about IMDb Pro because a friend of mine just realized this was a thing he was talking to me about how he got the free trial so that he could finally put a picture up and I was like you know that the picture goes away once your your yeah. trial ends right and he was like what yeah like, why do you think everyone has IMDb Pro dude it's so they can have their picture up yeah. like they're not going to keep that up for you so that's <laughs> something to note is that I think some people think they can game the system you no, can't they take it down. <laughs> yeah that's why I signed up for the year because I was like this is the year that I'm going to be like really hustling so I might as well mm-hmm. do it but I also kind of immediately regretted it because all <laughs> I could really do is change my photo I also wish that we didn't rely on it so much. I mean, it's yeah. what, like IMDb is owned by Amazon, so already, ugh. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you can, you know, do the free trial. So, like, you can sign up for one month and then cancel it and go on and off as you need it per project. Or you can just, like, borrow a friend's, you know? Yeah, that's uh, the other thing. The same way you share Netflix passwords, share an IMDb Pro account. Yeah. What else? So I have three websites <laughs> uh, because I got my first one as a birthday present at the age of 13 and have been addicted ever since. So I have a personal <laughs> blog, which is the one that I got at 13, age 13, that I started paying for at 18. Um, it was transferred over to me. Then I have my professional portfolio website. So my BrieCastellini.com where I, it's like, that's what I put on like job applications and stuff. Like this is a full look at my work history. And then I have UndeadBurritoProductions.com which is my production company account. So all three of those are WordPress sites that I pay for the hosting on. I, because there's not like a bunch of stuff on them, I have like the lowest hosting package for each. So I think each individual site plus WordPress builder is like 15 to 20 bucks a month to like mm-hmm. upkeep the domain and like have access to the, the stuff I have access to. And then I also have two domains for both of my podcasts to redirect the iTunes link because the iTunes link for podcasts looks like garbage. So I, right. I uh, pay for breakingoutpod.com, which is like 
five bucks a year or something. It's so low. And then burnnoticed.rocks or burnnoticedpodcast.rocks. And both of those are just domain redirects. So like there's nothing on the site. All I do is pay for the domain itself. And, you know, if I had to give those up, it wouldn't be a big deal. It just like makes it look cleaner when I promote podcasts. Uh, But yeah, so all told my five domains... Um, which includes two domains and three websites, cost me about $100 a year just to maintain that. Similarly, I have my my com website. That's through Squarespace. That's just a personal one, so that's $96 a year. And then the Congested Cat one is $240, $240 per year because that's a business account because we have way more pages and subpages and like transactions sometimes happening through it. And then we have the domains for for Congested Cat and also a host gator mail account for the IndieWorks because that's like a lot of back and forth with filmmakers to su- accept submissions and correspond with them. And so that's another like hundred bucks. And then I had before I quit my job, I did like a cleanup of some things that I could sacrifice. But previously I had like seven domains because I had my domain, Congested Cat. I had one for IndieWorks that just directed, redirected to the IndieWorks page on Congested Cat. And similarly for my big projects, I had, you know, a summit one for my first feature for, for Kelsey, my website series and for about a donkey all of those were just like directed to the pages on the congested cat site i dropped those because i felt like who cares and you know sure they're not worth paying for anymore and then yeah there's other stuff i don't know if you want to jump in if we should back and forth <laughs> yeah i mean the only other tool that i actively pay for is the adobe creative cloud um, and i don't even use premiere like my editing software is final cut pro mm-hmm. which i got as a gift from my brother a couple of years ago because my iMovie on my computer stopped letting me export i could edit but I couldn't export and I was so frustrated and this was you know me being a peak YouTube vlogger at the time so I think it was back in college and my brother for I think either birthday or Christmas one year just like bought me Final Cut Pro and so now I don't have to pay for that but I do pay for Adobe Creative Cloud for use of Photoshop specifically and um, InDesign. InDesign because I use that to make my resumes because I like to have my resumes like looking cute and slightly designed and then Photoshop I use for pretty much everything I use it for you know promotional work and like imagery I use it for work stuff I use it to edit screenshots and things like that so I use Photoshop for a a lot of things because it was something that I got trained on when I was like earlier than 10 I think like I, I started using Photoshop or a version of Photoshop when I was like eight or nine so that's just like the platform I'm most comfortable with um, and I'm always finding use out of it and Adobe Creative Cloud has other stuff also PDF editing actually I do use their PDF editor like Adobe Acrobat I think um, and I'm pretty sure the paid version is the only one that you can actually edit PDFs in which is useful for like scripts if you want to switch things out of and breakdowns also contracts it's very helpful if you need to like put a bunch of things in one and like invoicing invoicing is a lot easier if you can attach the receipts in the same PDF file so mm, yeah, we're thinking about. And then the only other thing I pay for for creative work right now is um, I use Libsyn to host our podcasts. Mm-hmm. So that's this podcast, Burn Noticed, and my Brie and Christopher Pest podcast, which we don't really update a lot because it's attached to our web series that hasn't had new episodes in a while. But I, you still have to pay to keep the RSS feed live. So that one's only five bucks a month. But um, Burn Notice, we have to pay $30 a month. So I split that with my co-host. And then uh, for this podcast, because we only upload two episodes a month, it's $15 per month, which Christina and I split. So that's uh, 
that's the breakdown of podcast hosting. <laughs> I have some other things. I uh, I do pay for Dropbox, so I have mm. two terabytes on Dropbox, and a big part of that is, you know, obviously all the production and transferring of files, but also IndieWorks running that. Uh, that's a really big expense for just getting files from filmmakers on a monthly basis. And I have a Vimeo Pro account for Congested Cat. The reason for that is because we just upload a lot of stuff. So, you know, we, we hit the cap pretty regularly, um, but also we monetize our two features on there. So you have to pay and that's $216 a year. We've only ever made that back through VOD the year the two years that we released the new titles so like when we were really pushing them but otherwise we like barely trickle have anything trickling in from them but it's still worthwhile to pay it just for the the storage and and having our films look the way that that we want because i know uh this probably will come up in a future episode but i'm i I'm a big fan of Vimeo aesthetically, and I know Brie prefers YouTube, and, and so that's kind of... That's because I'm cheap, and for no other reason. <laughs> Zero other reason. And I also know, Christina, you have like a whole festivals hack that you that Vimeo is yeah. uniquely suited for, and we, we'll talk about that when we get to the festivals episode, yeah, yeah. which well, is coming out soon. So if you have questions about film festivals, anything related to them, um, definitely hit us up at our various social medias. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about that. So my Congested Cat uh, production company is an LLC. I do have to pay an accountant to do my taxes because it's over my head. Um, so that <laughs> so that cost me another 200 bucks a year. I have to do that for two production companies because I also have, or rather two LLCs because I have another LLC that is also co-owned by Kelsey Rauber, who I own Congested Cat with, and that is our IP LLC for About a Donkey. Um, and that is essentially, we'll talk about that maybe in a future episode, but basically the advice is to keep your production separate from your IP with a feature, especially in case like something happens in the production liability wise, it does not affect your ability to release the film itself. Hmm. So we have that LLC around for that reason, like for another feature, we keep it around, but it requires not only that we do taxes for it, even though it's not pulling in any money every year, we have to do a filing fee for it, but also having a bank account open for for it so I pay for you don't have to pay for a bank account but if you own a business if you have a business bank account they either require you to have a minimum amount of money in them at all times and we don't have enough money mm -hmm. to keep a minimum <laughs> um, every bank I'm pretty sure it's 1500 bucks you have to have a minimum 1500 at all times and that was not something that we could maintain so we use TD sure. bank which is the only bank that allows you to not have a minimum but you have to pay a $12 fee monthly. Got it. Um, That's so, less expensive than 1500 always in there. So yes, way <laughs> less expensive. So, um, so we just pay $12 a month on each one of those bank accounts. And I think, I think that's it, but I'm sure there's stuff we're forgetting. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's, that's kind of all I had. Um, as always, you know, we, we're going to do this podcast forever again until one of us gets too famous and completely spurns the other one. So if anyone out there has questions about the stuff that we talked about, um, if you want us to reveal something else, like I'm pretty much an open book. I know Christina's a pretty much open book. Yep. So if you're curious about anything we talked about, if you'd like a whole new episode on a particular subject that you don't think we dive deep enough in today, as always, uh, get in touch. You can reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter at breaking out pod. We have open DMs on both accounts, or you can send us an email, uh, breaking out of breaking in pod at gmail.com. So please 
talk to us. <laughs> we're, we're, this podcast is only useful to you guys if you tell us what you're looking for. So, the, you know, this should hopefully be an interactive experience. So if there's anything else that we should talk about or anything you want us to talk about more deeply, please reach out. We would love to hear from you. That's right. So thank you so much to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music and Kaylee Brown for our podcast art and to all of you for listening. You can find out more about Kelsey and Kaylee at the links in our episode description. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you get notified of all of our new episodes officially now dropping every other Thursday from here into oblivion and rate us five stars if you haven't already. We promise it actually helps us out a lot. Next episode, we'll be discussing what's in your budget with producer Polkit Tata. Thanks for listening. See you in two weeks.